The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. The talk that I want to give you today is, is an answer to a question. Why would somebody give church a second, second chance? And it, it, it implies that people have given up on the church. And there are a lot of different polls and statistics that are out today. But there's, people guess somewhere around 15 to 20 million people. That's a huge number. 15 to 20 million people have tried church and then given up. Said, no thanks, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to go to church. And some of it's people who just went one. They went one time and it was so hideously horrible that they never went back. And some people, they went for 10 years. And uh, then finally just said, you know, I just can't take this anymore. And I sympathize with people in that place because I have spent my entire life in the church. I mean, I, I was practically born under one of the, the pews back when, when I was a kid. And I can remember at two, three years old, laying, sleeping on the pew while my parents were in church. And so grew up my whole life in church. And, uh, and then, you know, went to college, went to a Christian college, and then went into the ministry. And after, oh, I don't know, uh, it was probably about 15 years of being in the ministry, I came to the conclusion that I really love Jesus, but I could do without his people. You know? I really like Jesus. He's nice. He's kind. I read about the stories about Jesus. I've, I've, you know, I've, I have a relationship with him. I love Jesus, but I could just do without his people. And so I understand that feeling. And so I, I just said, you know, I've had enough. So in 2001, I said, adios to the church. And I just quit going. And uh, thought, well, we'll have church at home. And so we did home church. I never got into the TV church. Uh, I, just, I just could never, I could never do that. But, um, and everybody's experience is different. And so I'm sure those of you who have left and, and you're given a second chance, your experience is not the same as mine. And probably for every person that has found themselves in that place, uh, they have their own reasons or different reasons, a lot of different circumstances, hundreds upon thousands of different circumstances. So I'm not assuming that yours is the same as mine. But I think that there are two common reasons why people have left the church. Two common things. And so I'll talk about them today. First of all, the number one, I think the number one reason people leave the church is just way too judgmental. People, God's people, Christian people, can be really mean. And this is the number one reason for me why I said I've had enough. It's just, some people I think have, uh, you know, they've been baptized in pickle juice. You know, they're just sour Christians. They're mean, they're, they're mad, they're angry at people, angry at everybody. Oh, they went through this special training to become a religious policeman. You know, and so they they they've, they've they're trained and they're ready, and so they just go around busting all of us for our sins, you know, and letting us know about it and hammering us, and um, and sometimes they don't even say a thing a word, 
but you know they despise you. You know, they look down on you. Maybe it's just a look they give you. Like, you know, you're really a, a pathetic Christian. You know, you're just, you're, you're a big sinner. And you're, you're not as good as us. You're less than us. Or, in, in my case, they just come right out and tell you. And uh, so, uh, the concept of grace seems to be lost in so many congregations throughout the world that, that Christianity has lost this sense of what it means to be forgiven by Jesus and to walk in that forgiveness that he offers. And here's a great definition of grace. And you might want to write this down because this is something that you will encounter at our church over and over and over and over because it's something that we really try to live by. And that's this. You can never be good enough to earn God's favor. You see, salvation is completely free. It's free. And if you could earn it, then it wouldn't be free, right? If you could, there was something you could do to contribute to your salvation, then it wouldn't be completely free. And it is completely free. Nobody uh, gave Jesus up or put him there. He put himself there. He gave his own life. He laid down his life for our sins. And we have forgiveness of sins solely because of his work. You didn't do anything to earn it. You were never good enough. Think about the thief on the cross. There's a couple guys there being crucified with Jesus. And uh, one of them says to Jesus, while they're hanging there, he says, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bad guy, and I really would like, you know, you to forgive me. I, I believe you're, you're the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, well, okay, well, then if you survive this, and then you could pray for a few weeks and read a lot of Bible verses and attend churches for three months, then you'll be with me in paradise. Right? Is that what happened? Uh, no. No. He said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So what did he have a chance to earn? Zilch. Zero. None. So he's the first convert in heaven, right? Right? He's the first one to have faith in Jesus and then die. And so they open up heaven for the first time to get the converts of Christ. And it's a guy who has been so rotten his whole life, he was killed for all of his crimes and did absolutely nothing to deserve salvation. So there's no way you can earn it. The other side of that coin says there's no way you can lose it. You see, if you can't earn it by being good enough, then you can't lose it by being bad enough. And what it says is all of us are in process, right? None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all down. We're all working on something. You know, do you want to see a really dysfunctional person? Do you? This is kind of fun. You want to see a real dysfunctional person? Look around. Do you want to see a hypocrite and a liar and a cheat? Look around. 
right? Because we're all here, right? And we're all in process. Now, that doesn't mean the church isn't a place for accountability. Paul, when he started teaching about grace, in Romans chapter 1, the beginning discussion about grace is an objection to it right off the bat. So wait a minute. If we say that you can never be bad enough to to lose it, uh, then won't people just go nuts going being bad? And Paul says, no, no, listen, you've got to understand the motive of grace. The motive of grace is this, that we obey Christ because we're so grateful. We're so grateful for what he's done for us. We love him, and that's our motivation to obey, not to earn any favors or to earn any special blessing or place in Christianity. The church can be a great place for accountability, a great place to learn and grow and change and, you know, work with other people to help your character change and development. But that only works if you invite it, right? Accountability forced on you doesn't do anything. In fact, every time you enforce count of accountability on somebody, they will find a way around it, right? Every single time. That's humanity. So, People leave because church is just too judgmental. Another reason people leave is because it's just way too disappointing. And I think disappointment comes upon folks because the church is unable to meet their needs. You know, they attend a service or they attend a few services and they just think, well, this is... This doesn't have any power. This doesn't do anything for me. Nothing really great happened. I didn't feel anything. I didn't sense anything. It did nothing for me. And so, you know, it just, there's, there's nothing there. Uh, Pastor Trevor and I went to a service about a month ago. And we were invited to go to this service. And, and it was being put together by some Lutheran folks. And I have nothing against Lutheran folks. I want to say that. I love them. They're our brothers and sisters. My own wife was raised in a Lutheran church and graduated from Lutheran high school. And so we don't despise Lutherans in any way. But I'll tell you, after sitting through that service, I was ready to slip my wrists. I mean, it was horrible. I was so depressed. It was such a beat down. The whole thing was, you're a worm. You're a slug. You're evil. You're a sinner. You're a terrible person. Look at all your sins and let's put them up and let's celebrate how sinful we are. And and I was just, oh my goodness. Where's the hope, man? Where where, where does it say that we're forgiven of all of this garbage? You know, I don't want to carry that burden all around that I'm such a pathetic worm. I want to walk in the newness of life in Christ, that he washes it away, that I don't have to carry those burdens. And so some people, they just don't want to be a part of the church because it's just a depressing message, you know, that you're just a loser, Well, you know what? Most of us are fully aware of our sins, right? Has anybody ever told you about a sin of yours and you were like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I didn't know that. You know it. Now you may pretend like you don't, but you know. And so if it's boring and it's horrible, it doesn't meet your needs, here's my advice to you. Hit the road. Take off, man. Don't waste the rest of your life in a boring, lifeless, dead church. But here, listen, here's a couple things you should know about that, okay? 
if you decide to hit the road, you got to be careful that you don't exchange one bad thing for another bad thing. And that is, is uh, you know, is being not planted causes a spiritual dysfunction in your life. In Psalm chapter 1, the writer of Psalm begins by saying that if you're planted in a place that is producing life, then you yourself will be the recipient of that life and it'll change your life. It'll be, it'll be amazing. You will prosper in all kinds of ways by being planted. Now, Joy and I, when we bought our first home, it was, uh, you know, new construction. And so the builder just did the front yard. So the backyard, nothing was done. And uh, so we, we went through this long, horrible process of putting in a yard. And you bought this tree, this one tree. I forgot what kind of tree it was. But anyway, we planted this tree. And just about a week later, Joy said to me, you know, I don't like where that tree is. And I really want to move it. What she was really saying was, I want you to move it. And so I was like, oh, man. So I went out, dug that thing up, and moved it to where she wanted it. Three days later, she says to me, I just don't like where that tree is. Could you move it again? And so then I swore a few times and said, oh, this is the last time I'm going to move this tree. And, and uh, so I dug it up, moved the tree, planted it. You know, she still didn't like where it was, but she was smart enough to not ask me to move it again. And I didn't think about it after that until a year later. A year later, I'm sitting on the back porch, drinking a cup of coffee. And I look out, and all of the plants that we planted were growing and thriving, new leaves, green color. They were beautiful, except one plant. It was that tree that I moved around so many times and kept digging it up. It never got a chance to put its roots down and to grow and thrive. And so it looked like it was dead when all the other plants were flourishing. And so it's fine if you're going to uproot and go and worship somewhere else, but make sure you don't bounce around all different places and never get planted because what you will do is you will cause your own spirituality to become dead and you will stunt your growth without even knowing it. Here's another one which is, which is even worse. And that is that you would end up in rejecting a church or a congregation. You end up rejecting God. Which is even worse. Even worse. It'll cause even more damage in your life. My son uh, decided one day that he wanted to pick up piano. And wanted to learn how to play the piano. And so we were like, oh, that's great. That's fine. And so we got him piano lessons, took him to lessons, and had a piano and the whole deal. And then we went to one of his recitals. And you know, those, there's moments as a parent where you see your, your children perform, and it hurts you more than it hurts them, you know? I mean, we just cringe inside. Here's all these, these piano prodigies up there, just beautiful stuff. And then my boy gets up there, and it's just... Bang, bing, bing. It was just horrible. And um, so it didn't work. It didn't take. So he gave up on piano. But I don't hate Mozart because my son gave such a poor representation of his music. I don't despise uh, 
opera or, or classical music because he couldn't play it well. So don't, don't despise God or be angry at God because some preacher or some leader was such a poor representation. There's a great danger in throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So be careful when you make that choice. Here, the church can be boiled down to basically one subject and two categories. And it it's all result, revolves around the word hope. It, it really it boils down to that. Because we come to church, there are two groups of people. People that come to church to find hope. They are without hope. They need hope. They're desperate for hope. And so they go to the church to find hope. And then there's another group of people that are here as well. And they're doing fine. They're living large. They're living great. Their bills are paid. Things are good. Kids are healthy. Life is great. They go to give hope away. And that's it. You have two groups of people. Those who desperately need hope. And those who have hope to give away. Now if you're here today. uh, Like my friend Scott. And you're desperate for hope. You're desperate for the hope that God can heal. You're desperate for the hope that God can meet your needs and pay your bills. You're desperate for hope that God can restore a relationship and heal it and mend a broken relationship. Or you're, you're, you're desperate for God to provide and, and, and bring you into a se- whole new season of prosperity and hope and a better future and a better quality of life. Your hope that, that somehow, is this all there is? Is there a better life out there? Can God give me a better life? And you come seeking out and searching for that kind of hope. Or you're here because you have plenty of hope to give away. You have money in your bank account. In fact, you've got plenty of money. You have leftover. You have extra. And so you can give that money away to make up for those who don't have anything to give, who have no hope of a financial future. You show up and you're happy. You're full of joy. You're you're excited about life. You're feeling good about life. You have that joy to give away. You're encouraged. You're you're confident. You're happy. And so you, you can come to give encouragement to somebody else. You see, some people say to me, well, what's in it for me? What does the church have to offer me? And I think if you have hope, then that's why you come. You come here to give it away. To give somebody else some little scrap of hope. It's, it's probably one of the most exciting, fulfilling, satisfying parts of being a part of a community of believers. Giving away hope. Um, my wife and I were at the mall, this was a number of years ago, and doing some shopping, and, and we're sitting in the food court having some food, and I got this just thing just bouncing in my head to take everything in my wallet and give it to this woman that was cleaning the tables. And like because I'm a, somewhat a normal person, uh, I went through all the objections. You know, that's stupid. I mean, how embar- that'll embarrass her. That'll embarrass me. What am I supposed to say? 
uh, she's probably doing fine and doesn't need any money and this is just ridiculous and I shouldn't do this and I'm just going through this whole thing in my head trying to talk myself out of it but it just gets louder and louder and louder so finally I get my wallet out I pull out all my cash I walk over to the woman felt like a complete idiot and I say ma'am I you know I uh, here's some money I'm supposed to give this to you so I hand her the, the money and she just kind of freezes, holds it in her hand, and then starts to weep. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I would just wanted to give her the money and leave. And she's, she composes herself. And she says to me, I was praying this morning at home to God that if he was real, he would somehow find a way to meet my needs. And the money that I had given her was the amount that she needed. Well, there was a, a time uh, in our church when we did something similar and said, hey, if you have a financial need, stand up. And if you were here, you probably remember that Sunday. And so, I don't know, maybe uh, half a dozen people stood up. And then I told the congregation to stand up with them and go and give them your money. So get money out of your wallet and put it in the hands of these people that are standing up. And uh, so there was one single mom in our church, and she was standing there. I remember she just got piles of money in her hands, and she was kind of holding it against her chest. Uh, it was a huge pile of cash. And she, she, too, was weeping as she received the money. And she sent me an email the following week, and she said, I just got to tell you, Pastor, that I was... I was in prayer this week asking God to meet my needs because I couldn't pay my uh, electric bill. And she said, I want to tell you just the most amazing thing that the amount of money that I got on Sunday was $197.45. And the cents came from some little 10-year-old girl who went over to her and gave her her change. And she said, my electric bill was $197.45. And there's no way mathematically that that could work out to that. But God had met her need. She came with the hope that he would, and other people came with that hope to give away. And that's why we go to church. Really, that's it. That's what it boils down to. That's why. We have other things. It's more complex than that. Sure, I'll give you that. We have a mission to accomplish. The mission of the church is to tell the whole world about Jesus and his love. And that's what we try and do all the time, everywhere, all the time here. But as we gather together, we're assembling two groups of people. People that are desperate for God to do something for them. And people who are full of God, ready to give it away. And that combination with a grace-filled church makes for one of the greatest places you could ever be. It's the reason that Joy and I decided to go back. I came to this place where I said, okay, God, I'm willing to go back if you want me to. But I said, I'm not going to go back and be a part of a congregation like the one I came from. I want to be a part of a congregation of a group of people that have a real faith. 
people that don't just talk about faith, but people who live their faith, you know? People that are, that, that it, it's an authentic faith. It's not some religious concept out there, but it's real. It's real. And you, you walk in that faith. And I want to be a part of a congregation where people treat each other with love and respect. I hate being hammered all the time about all of my faults and failures. You're not this and you're not that and you're not this and you're not that. And constantly being told how you don't measure up. And so I told God, I said, I want, when I go back, if I encounter those things, boy, I'm going to let him have it. And apparently he was okay with that. And so I've come to our church, and I think that we have, in a certain measure, been able to establish that that is what makes our church safe, is that we embrace this concept of grace, and we embrace hope. I hope that you are like me and you're able to give the church a second chance. Like God. It's the only place on the earth where you can find hope. It's the, you know why? Because it's the only place that has hope to give away. It comes from God. It comes through Him. It's from Him. And that's where the, the hope is. It's in the local church. So, if you're willing to give it a second chance, I hope you will. And I encourage you to do that today. To say, God, I'll, I'll give it another try. But this time with a different men- mindset of what the church should be and what it can be.